pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you again on a Sunday morning, and Lord, our request is this, that we could worship you, that you would be willing to receive the singing of our praises and our songs to you, Lord, the specials. Lord, I pray that the preaching this morning would draw our hearts in a direction that would make us more pleasing and more honoring to you and to your goodness. Lord, we pray for the invitation, Lord, that we would not withhold from you what is rightfully yours, but we would surrender that to you, that you may change us and make us your servants. We pray for the offering in every part of this service, that all would be done to the honor and praise of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And we're going to have a special. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. And then we'll be going very shortly to uh, the book of Romans chapter 11. But first, let's go to Acts chapter 20. Uh, I was just looking through some notes and uh, found out that uh, it was actually Christmas Sunday, 1996. Uh, and some of you may remember the significance of that date. That was our first regular service in this building. And uh, the text that I preached on that day was Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And I'd like for us to do that. This is not Christmas Sunday, we know, but uh, just felt the Lord leading in this direction and If you're there in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, the context is Paul is meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus. He is not going to be able to visit them, nor is he going to see them again in this life. And he was giving them some last-minute instructions and summing up some things. Verse 35 says, I have showed you all things. How that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, uh, we live in a world of, uh, uh, I guess I could just use the word, panhandlers, do we not? And uh, it's been more than one occasion I've had one of the beggars in this city come up. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, that's not what Jesus was talking about here. Uh, the, the, this is not a pretext for you to give. But it is a statement. It is a truth. And we talk about Christmas, and of course, one of the things that makes Christmas very special is the giving. Uh, the giving, the greatest gift that was ever given was Jesus Christ. Amen? And in many small ways, as we celebrate this holiday, this time of, uh, of year, there, there is a season of giving. In fact, most charities get a vast majority of their yearly budgets between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, you see the Salvation Army guys out there ringing the bells and, and, and uh, trying to raise uh, money. Let me tell you, if it didn't work, they wouldn't be doing that. 
Uh, and uh, I'm not against Salvation Army. I've often, we often get calls all the time. Does your church receive donations of clothes and furniture, et cetera, et cetera? And I always tell them, if you, if you have those things you want to get rid of, uh, the Salvation Army is the best place to do that. It is the, uh, they will do more with your gift than any other organization. Do not give to the United Way, please. You're funding Planned Parenthood and abortions. Uh, uh, the, many of these other uh, uh, charities out there are doing things that are not charitable. But uh, the point of, of this morning is, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and, and I... I think I've already said this, and I do every Christmas season. There, there's a purpose in that statement. If you're able to give, what does that mean? It means you have something to give. So oftentimes we try to give things that we don't have. Amen? Well, let me give you my advice. I don't remember asking for that. Uh, 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 how many of you have ever said, well, let me put my two cents in. Are you sure it's really worth all that? Uh, we better be careful about giving that which we do not have. Uh, some country singer uh, not that I endorse country songs, in any, but every once in a while, somebody comes up with something. It's kind of worth repeating just for the uh, total absurdity of the point. He's, he wrote a song. It, it, it said, if my nose was running money, honey, I'd blow it all on you. <laughs> That's actually a song. And I'm sure somewhere in there the sediments are supposed to be positive. But if that was really happening, use a handkerchief first, all right? And of course it's not going to happen. And yet I always remember my first real uh, understanding or experience with trying to raise money for projects and things was actually with the Marshall family. I was traveling uh, with Brother Clayton at the time as his helper and and uh, single and unmarried and all of those things. And they were trying to raise money to buy a new bus. They had a 1957 bus that they were traveling in. Uh, this was uh, 1987, I believe it was, and they were trying to raise money to buy a bus that was 20 years newer. And uh, and I remember being with Brother Marshall on several occasions, and Brother Clayton would get up if he was allowed to speak in the meetings and try to raise money for that bus. They were trying to raise about $50,000, if I remember correctly. And almost every service I was in where, some, where the need was presented and things were going, uh, they were raising the money, somebody come up and say, you know, Brother Marshall, I'm in a lawsuit right now. And, and, and if I win this suit, I'm going to give you some money. Never happened. 
And invariably somebody said, well, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket, and if I win, I'll give you part of the money, you know. And it was like, uh, you know, if wishing actually did something good, the world would be a better place now, wouldn't it? But you know all that wishing really accomplishes? It takes from you the time and energy that you could actually do something good. That's all wishing does. And we need to be careful. I remember as I was writing the sermon, I got thinking about that. And, you know, every, I wish I had a million dollars. And then, oh, what would I do with a million Wow. And you get distracted because your mind runs in circles. You know, a million dollars today wouldn't do you very much good now, would it? I mean, once the government got through with you, it wouldn't be a million dollars. And after, you, can't, you couldn't even buy a house on this block for a million dollars. That makes no sense to me. But that's the way the world in which we live. And Jesus made this statement here. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 11. And we're going to follow this ongoing theme that will be, by God's grace, a secondary theme to almost every sermon, if not every sermon, till the Lord takes me home, is the Bible is its own commentary. The Bible explains the Bible. And and this thought, this message that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus had a purpose in that. He had a direction. He wanted us to be able to get something so that we could give. When we were raising money to buy this building, it was sometimes a little disheartening. We'd go to the meetings and, and we'd try this. And uh, actually, most of the money raised here for this meeting was before the home missions conference at Heartland had even started. We started in 96. They didn't have the first home missions conference until... Uh, January of 1999, and, and uh, we we were there. Uh, I was there actually at that first uh, home missions conference, and and it was a real eye opener for me. And the best part of that was, I was able to say, I'm not here asking for money this time, but I didn't have anything to give. But I'll tell you what. By God's grace, we've been giving rather largely over these past several years. You see, God has given us something. And it's, it's hard when you have nothing and yet you want to give something. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been there? How many of you have been in a situation where you wanted to give, where you wanted to do something, but you couldn't? Because you didn't have anything to give. And so, 
we, we want to look at the Bible and, and get an understanding of what is talked about here. Let's look at verse 32 of Romans chapter 11, verse 32, and we're going to go the whole way through the end of chapter 12. And so we're not covering everything today, but we're going to uh, try again to, to get the larger thought of this extended passage here. It says, For God hath concluded them, talking about Israel, all, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of, okay, oh, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Look at verse 35. Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. And all God's people said... Do you get what Paul is saying here? This is part of the the ending, actually, of his treatise on the part of Israel in God's plan of salvation. How that God used the Jewish people to bring God's revelation, the greatest of his revelation, of course, is the actual person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, As Jesus died on the cross to be the Savior of the world, He was rejected. He was not believed. The Jewish people were no longer in sole possession of God's grace. You see, they had grown so complacent and so self-centered in their faith toward God that they believed that salvation was in their physical bloodline as a descendant from Abraham. Doesn't work that way. Never has worked that way. And God concluded them under sin and under His judgment that He could have mercy upon whosoever shall believe on the name of the Lord. Can we say amen to that? And Paul is just taking a moment here and just rejoicing and explaining the depths of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. Who could figure out how God would do all that He has done? Oftentimes we have great concern over Uh, a lost loved one or someone that refuses to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And I want to challenge you. Pray. Pray as earnestly as you can. But one thing you need to grab a hold of is God has already done everything within His power to bring that loved one to salvation. Now it's your turn to give what God has given you to help that person 
find and understand what God has already done. And he says, who knows the mind of the Lord here? Who, who can give the Lord instruction? Who has been his counselor is the actual words? Or who hath first given to him? As we have gone through the, the letters to the churches earlier this year, the church at Ephesus had a problem. They had left their first love. They had gotten past that great truth. We love Him because He first loved us. I want to challenge you today. You have nothing to give until you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. How many times in in my life have I been trying to figure out some kind of problem? Whether it's how to fix the old bus, that 57 bus. Uh, My father-in-law joked, I think there's a little truth in there. He said, I'm going to get even with you for stealing my daughter. I'm going to give you the old bus. And... uh, How many times trying to fix that old bus, I'd be sitting there just staring. And somebody would call, come up behind and say, Oh, you got a problem. And I'm like, tell me something I don't already know. Oh, maybe you could do this. And my next thought is, tell me something that I've already thought of. And very, you know, it gets frustrating sometimes to have someone come up and give you help that you don't need. But I'll tell you, God always had somebody there when it was, Lord, I have no idea what to do and nobody I know has any ideas what to do. And God would introduce me to somebody new. Sometimes they were saved. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes it was the guy at the parts counter of all people. And sit there and say, well, I'm I'm trying to fix this old bus. And I remember uh, one story. This won't impress you at all. But uh, I was trying to rebuild the motor. and, And he said, why don't you get a type C injector? And I said, what's that? He says, well, let me explain it to you. He said, it's going to give you more horsepower and it's going to clean up the exhaust of the engine and it's, it's going he said it's a new thing they didn't have them when they built the engines but we got them now and he said i can actually give them to you cheaper than the regular ones i said give away sir i said give me a set all six uh that's how many cylinders the engine was and and uh, i i will tell you God will always bring the people into your life to give you what you need to serve Him. But you've got to be saved first. You have to understand that you did not give God anything good when you gave Him your soul. God was not the beneficiary of that arrangement. You were. You see, that's why we love Him. Because He first 
loved us. If you're going to have something to give, you must first have something to give. Isn't that deep? I mean, you got to think about that. But so often, we'll find ourselves trying to give something that we don't have. I think it was Ronald Reagan said that's the definition of a Democrat. Somebody who wants to meet your needs with someone else's money. Uh, I'm sitting there going, yeah, wow. Uh, that, that is what the world needs a whole lot less of. Could we say amen to that? Don't give people something you don't have. But if you're going to give, you've got to get something first. Your salvation needs to be worth passing along. Can, can we... Uh, well, John 1.12, let me just quote it to you. But as many as received Him, what? To them gave He power to become the sons of God. Second Peter 1.3 says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I don't know about you, but I spend far too much time struggling with problems in this life that pertain unto life and godliness. How about you? Hello? Are we there? And yet the Bible says He's given us all things. So why are we struggling? It's because we lack a knowledge of Him. If we knew more about Jesus and we sit there, well, what is there more to know about Jesus? He died to pay the price for my sins. He loves me. He wants me to live for Him. But let me tell you, His knowing Jesus should make us live differently. It should clean us up. Amen? It should change our physical appearance as well as our emotional appearance, as well as our inner stability of who and what we are. All of these things, because everything that is, that last verse of chapter 11 says, for of Him and through Him, And to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you're going to give, and it is more blessed to give than to receive, if you're going to give, you've got to get something first. But let me tell you, once you get something from God, you've got to give it away. Let's read. Let's keep reading here. The chapter divisions sometimes are are a great hindrance to really understanding the flow and the message of of a passage. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, How many times do we quote these verses? How many times do I mention them passing in in a sermon? This is the essence of true Christianity, is we are to give our bodies a living sacrifice. That's why in the temple and the tabernacle before it, there was a continual burnt offering offered every morning and every night The fire that was on that altar was never, ever to be put out. In fact, the Jewish people claim that that fire burned from the foot of Mount Sinai when God lit that first fire with His glory until the day that Nebuchadnezzar's troops came in and sacked the city of Babylon and destroyed the temple and everything that was in it. I don't know if that's true or not. It's hard to believe because there were certain kings that didn't even worship God and did terrible things. But that is their tradition. And that is a living illustration of what we're talking about here. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Here's what Jesus said to to. Uh, Uh, Peter, actually, in Matthew chapter 16. And and I'm going to take a moment and just read there. If you want to turn quickly with me, you may. Matthew chapter 16. Because I don't want to miss anything here. Verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross... And follow me, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. You know, there is no gain in holding on to that which you cannot take with you one moment after your heart stops beating. The name Howard Hughes still excites Uh, the minds of some people at one time, arguably the richest man in the world. He had everything that a person could ever want. He had literally what we would call unlimited capital. He uh, He was a man that had more money than even his lawyers When it was all over, he had more money than even the lawyers could spend. Now, that's a lot of money. Uh, He had a great mind. He was an inventor. He he was an innovator in in the, the newly established field of aviation and did incredible things. And 
In fact, I think his cargo ship, the Spruce Goose, is still holds like one of the records for uh, the largest propeller-driven plane that was ever built or something like that. I mean, these are, these are feats of engineering that uh, no ordinary man could do, and yet he was able to call in uh, people and take these thoughts and actually build something with them. And he died worse than any bum in the street in an airplane with needles broken off in his body from him trying to inject himself with drugs that he was addicted to. Worse than the most penniless pauper living in the gutters, the richest man of the world died because he couldn't hold on to that which he thought he had. How many of you have found the joy in complete surrender of your life and everything you are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you say amen to that this morning? And you have to realize something. Jesus gave me everything. He gave me heaven. It's His good will to give to us the kingdom. Uh, uh, I, I am a man that studies politics and history and all that's going on around us, but one of the things that keeps me from getting too upset about all of the foolishness and wickedness that goes on is one of these days Jesus is going to be running this place. And I'm going to get to help him. He says, Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall rule with him. We shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, you know how I'm going to help Jesus administrate this earth during the millennial kingdom? It's very simple. I'm going to do everything He wants exactly the way He wants without one bit of this old sin nature getting in the way and complicating things. I'm looking forward to that day. How about you? And no, I'm not going to be an automaton or a robot or... Uh, some computer program. You see, the Bible says in that day we'll know as we are known. You know God knows what's best. He's the only one who does. So why do we argue with Him so much all the time? How many of you remember the fight in your soul that you, how, how long you kept God at bay when before you got saved. And you struggled with that. And you said, ah, what, what if I give my life to God and He wants me to do something crazy with it? He will. He wants you to be His servant. But I'll tell you what, you cannot outgive God. And when He does give you salvation, the greatest thing you can do is give it all back to Him. A living sacrifice. That's, that's why we call this part up here. And by the way, the stairs are included here. All of this wood up here is a place for you to come and kneel. We, we do not believe in dead sacrifices because God gets 
No pleasure out of death other than the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And that was because he was coming back to life. God wants a living sacrifice. You cannot give to someone else anything worth having until you've given everything you are or ever will be to the Lord Jesus Christ. That happens after you're saved, not before. Amen? First, you've got to get saved. That's where you surrender. That's where you get something. Now you have a life. And if you'll take that life that Jesus has given you and give it back to Him 100%, He's going to give you something to give. And you see, if we'll read on here, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. I hope you're there. Verse 3 says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? That thought of themselves more highly than they ought to think? Wow, the world is full of people who think more highly than they ought to think. Christians, if you've given everything to Jesus, you don't have anything left over. I've often told people this, that they, they say, Pastor, you don't understand, they're playing mind games. Well, there's only one answer. If you don't want someone playing games with your mind, get rid of it. Give it to Jesus. He will keep people from playing tricks on your mind. If you don't give that to Jesus, you're going to become prey to the tricks of this world. You just will. You cannot help it. There's somebody out there smarter than you are. And and so we move on. For this I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Does that sound like a gift? God dealt to every man the measure of faith. God's given you a measure of faith. Remember, faith is the most powerful thing in this universe. We do not have an explosive. We do not have a destructive force of any kind that a grain of mustard seed will move an entire mountain or even a tree. And yet, Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed... You could say to this mountain, be plucked up and cast into the sea. I tell you, there is nothing we know of. There is nothing we understand, not even, (coughs) excuse me, the greatest cosmic explosions in outer space. They take hundreds of millions of tons of matter in order to develop those black holes and explode and all of those things. You can fit enough faith a hundred times over on the tip of one finger. 
You could get 100 grains of mustard seed on the tip of your index finger. That'd just about wipe out the central Appalachian mountain range. 100 mountains? Come on, let's, let's just put it in practical terms. You see, he has given us faith, but let's look on that faith is in a context. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. If you want to sum all that up, read verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. How many of you would like to be loved a little more? And you are right now. Don't raise your hands. Every hand go up. I mean, don't don't we just enjoy it when people are kind to you? Hello. Don't you don't you like it when people are kind to you? That's one of the things I love about the fellowship of believers. You see, I believe in the local church. But I'm not always able to be here for every service. Sometimes I'm in other churches. And guess what? I meet people there that share the exact same love for the exact same Savior. And we have so much in common that it's like we've always been friends. How many of you have ever found that to be true, visiting another church? The right kind of church, I'll tell you. You can find a great imitation in the wrong kind of churches, but that's not our subject this morning. You see, when I finally give everything to God, surrender my life, that daily sacrifice, that holy, bodily, living sacrifice, where is that going to take me? Well, the next verses we just read, it's going to take me to church. Amen? It's going to make me function in the church. And I don't know how else to say this. If you're not right with a local assembly, meaning that you're saved, you're scripturally baptized, and you're a member functioning in that church, you cannot be right with God. You cannot. Because when you finally get something to give, when you get saved, God gives you life. If you will then take that life and give it wholly to God, 
He's going to make you serve Him in your local church. And that's where the good things start. You see, now I have something to give. And now I have a place in a context where my giving can be utilized in a positive way. Now, some of you are looking at me like I'm making this up. Did you, read, did you hear the words I just read? We get to, to verse um, 5 here. So we being many are one body in Christ. That's talking about the local church. And all of these things, these gifts that are given is prophecy, faith. And, and by the way, God does not give us any longer a gift of special foreknowledge or special revelation. Because we have all God's revelation right here. But when Paul was writing these words, the Bible wasn't complete yet. But on exhortation, and I could, we could spend really a whole Sunday morning on each one of these words, but let love be without dissimulation. You know what that means? That means no strings attached to the love. No, no arguments involved. No, none of these caveats. Uh, none of these... Well, listen, if you'll scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Uh, that, that is not biblical love. Biblical love does not say, Hey, I, I love you today and I care about you today until you cross me and then I'm going to cut you. That's the way the world loves, isn't it? Biblical love, when we get it from God, we can pass it on to each other. And we're to be kind one another. You know what? We're to prefer one another. I've had many people say over the years, I'm closer to people in this church than I am members of my own family. Well, I certainly am. You know why? Because we have a physical connection in our Savior, in our church attendance in working together to get these things done. And so, we need to keep moving here. But when we give, we should give one to another. We should be kindly, affectionate, preferring one another. Now, verses 11 through um, uh, 14 here are going to give us a list of things that we should give not only in our church, but in the world in which we live. Not slothful in business. Do I need to explain that? I mean, we, we live in a world of sloth, do we not? And oftentimes, it is not how much work I can get done in eight hours, it's how little work I can get done in eight hours. And, and uh, we don't have time to explain all that, but not sloth in business. We should be diligent in the things that we try to do. Fervent in spirit. I mean, sometimes people would confuse our, uh, uh, our assurance with the Lord with depression. 
Oh, I, I know the Lord's going to straighten it all out. Well, how about some fervency in spirit? There ought to be some life in us. Amen? There ought to be some desire, some, some intensity in just living day by day. That can be overdone, but most of us have the problem with underdoing it by far. What's the next one? Serving the Lord. You know, we can serve the Lord where we work. Not only the pastor. Rejoicing in hope. That'll make people think weird things about you at work now, wouldn't it? That you're not all depressed for the same reasons they are. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. Hey, that, that just means giving. Hey, you know something? If I walk with the Lord, He's going to give me a place and a position of service. And I'm not going to worry about what that place and that position is. I'm just going to start serving Him. And all of a sudden, I'm going to find out that I have something to give. Given the hospitality, verse 14, bless them which persecute you. You know, we don't have to fight the world. Sometimes Christians have gotten this attitude that it's our job to straighten out the world. That's not in the Bible. It's your job to ask Jesus to straighten out you. Boy, it got quiet all of a sudden. But you know, if every believer in Jesus Christ got right with God the way that they should be, wouldn't this world be a different place? That's what Jesus meant. Second Chronicles, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. You, you want to... Well, I'm getting ahead of my notes. I'm sorry. But the, the simple truth of the matter is you can't give anything until you have something to give. Get saved. But once Jesus gives you that life, give it back to Him. 100%. And He's going to give you service in His church. And you see, here is the answer as we read these last few verses here. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You know, and of course, the whole other sermon here, but there are some people you cannot live peaceably with. They will not accept that. So what do I do? Well, I am not in charge of recompensing evil to evil. It's not my job to get even with them or even try to straighten them out. My duty is to provide things honest in the sight of all men. 
Now look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. What does that mean? Well, here's the answer. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, there's an awful lot that goes on that gets uh, me personally offended and upset. How about you? Anybody else? I mean, I don't mind people driving crazy if that's what they want to do, but don't put my life in danger by your decision to drive crazy. Are you in agreement with that? Uh, uh, we've had a group of people here that just want to park in front of the church on Sunday morning, obstructing entrance into the building. Uh, I'll tell you, there's some things in me that would like to repay evil for evil. But that's not godly. In all of the business dealings with with union that we've, we've been taken advantage of on several occasions. We've been lied to. We've had contractors and who have promised to do things and then wouldn't do that, backed out on their word. And my first thing is, uh, hey, hey, God, I know it says in the Bible not, they're, they're not to pray for a sin unto death, but I, I'm really tempted right now. Just uh, uh, get rid of that liar. Well, how do you deal with that? You have to stop and realize that God's going to take care of those things. Dear God, I'm going to give you that wrath that is inside my heart. And I'm going to let you hold on to it till judgment day. That'll take the wind out of your sails and out of mine. Because I don't want them to be on the wrong side of God's judgment. Do you? I don't know of anybody. But there's going to be a lot of people there. The Bible tells us that. That's why it's not mine to repay. I'll give that to the Lord. Therefore, thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You see... There's some things that I'm supposed to give this world. This world's going to give me some things. They're going to give me cursing. They're going to give me uh, tribulation. They're going to try to do things to hinder the work that God has called us to do. What am I supposed to give the world? I'm supposed to give them blessing. I'm supposed to... uh, Live peaceably with all men. I'm not supposed to seek any difficulty there. I'm not to avenge myself. I I am to simply do good. Isn't that what they said about Jesus? Stephen in his sermon said Jesus went about doing good. Well, they stoned Stephen. Well, he went to heaven, didn't he? Let me tell you something. The reason it's better to give 
it's more blessed to give than to receive is because you have to have enough blessings to be able to give to give. But you cannot give until you first receive life. Then your first gift is to God. You take that life that He gave you and give it to Him. Then He's going to give you ability to serve in His church and be a part of this body called the local assembly of the believers. And that's going to give me something that the world wishes it has, is kind affection one for another. And then as the world begins to curse us and to put us in difficulties and try to become our enemies, we can give them blessing for cursing. We can be patient in tribulation. You know, those IRS agents are trained when they call you up to say things that will strike fear in your heart and to bully you. They train them that way. Because they want to get your money. That's what it's about. But I don't have to be bullied. Why? Because my God's going to straighten out those things. I don't have to avenge myself. I don't have to go out and get even with those people. I don't have the responsibility of straightening out all the crazy people in this world. I've only got one crazy person that I'm really responsible for. That's me. And my family that God has given me. Lots of crazy people. Amen. And you see, what we're going to do is we're going to give this world something that they can't get anywhere else. Because we're going to make them take notice of who God is. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you that you do not want us to be always on the receiving side. You want us to be able to give. And you want to bless us with that which we can give. That will make a real difference. And Lord, I pray for each soul that is in this auditorium this morning. We know that there must be some here today that have yet to settle the issue of their own salvation. Lord, our first prayer is that they would be willing to surrender totally to you. Lord, we pray for those that are saved, that they would willing, willingly and joyfully part with their own life and their own plans and their own ambitions. Lord, that they present their body, that living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable, reasonable service. Lord, we pray for those that are in that process of letting that gift back to God drive us and prepare us and 
allow us to serve Him through this local body. And Lord, we pray that You would help us to overcome the evil that is in this world, especially in this city where we live with good. That we would never choose to fight fire with fire. That we would fight evil with good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.